All right, would you please turn in your Bibles with me one last time, at least for now, to the book of Romans, chapter 16. Romans, chapter 16. And before we look at this passage, let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you once again for this this particular book, this letter. Thank you for the time we've had together in it over these past months. And Father, we ask again for your help this morning. We need your help if our hearing is going to be anything more than just physical hearing. So we pray, Lord, for spiritual eyes, spiritual ears, spirit-filled hearts. Lord, I pray that you would incline our hearts. We don't always feel the kind of hunger that we should for your word. And so, Lord, we ask you now, would you incline our hearts to your word and away from all of the stuff that we're inclined toward for selfish gain? God, we need to hear from you this morning. And so we pray, speak to us, O Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we come this morning to the final message in this series that we've been in through the book of Romans. And I think, as I've been thinking about this, especially this past week, I think I can relate at least a little bit to what Paul must have been feeling as he brings his letter to a close. He has just shared in a careful and pastoral and loving but urgent way, I mean at times quite boldly. Remember what he said, chapter 15, verse 15? But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder. With all of these feelings and motivations in his heart, he's written this letter to those believers there in Rome about the most important thing in his life and in their lives. Something about which he was so convinced and so confident and about which he wanted them to be so convinced and so confident as well. Do you remember those hugely significant words back in chapter 1, Romans 1.16? I should have Ryan come up here and preach this part because that verse has become so instrumental and meaningful to him. Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. We can feel right there back in chapter 1 verse 16 and all the way through this book, Paul's passion about this truth. Now in his case, He's never met the vast majority of the people there in that local church in Rome. He knows a few of them. He named them in the first part of chapter 16. But Paul's never been to this church. He's heard about them. He knows about them. And oh, is he committed to them and to their good, to their unity in the gospel, to their joy in the gospel, to their health in the gospel. He feels so strongly about that. Let me ask you, have you ever felt 
like really strongly about something? It's a silly question, right? Of course you have. We all have. God has made us with the capacity to feel strongly and deeply about things, and there are things you should feel strongly and deeply about. This past week, uh, Beverly and I had the privilege of being out in California. Mark Rogers, who was one of the pastors here for many years, had invited me to come out and speak at a pastor's conference. He actually worked me pretty hard. Um, I ended up preaching or teaching in four different settings over the space of seven days, but during the course of those days, we had time regularly to sit down with Mark and Stephanie and with Brian and Kate Lupo, and as we did, our hearts were again just strongly joined with theirs. As they talked about the joys and the challenges of ministry, I felt so strongly toward them, a desire for their good, for God's favor on their lives and on their families. I mean, you feel things. And especially, I don't know if this is your experience, but I find it, especially when you desire something that is beyond your ability to do anything about. You feel so strongly. You want good for people. I feel that way about my children. I mean, you just ache for their good. You want good for them. I feel that way about this church, about you. People's lives are touched by hard things, and your heart just goes out. You want things so badly. I want your progress in the faith. I want your love for the Lord to grow. I want your joy in the Lord to grow. You feel this so deeply. Now, I want you to notice, in that list of things I just mentioned that I feel strongly about, I didn't say anything about the Green Bay Packers. I really enjoy watching them. If it works out, I'm going to watch the game tonight, and I'm sure I'll get into it. But if I had to choose between the Packers, let's say winning the next Super Bowl, or the next 10 Super Bowls for that matter, if I had to choose between that and my children doing well spiritually, there wouldn't be much of a choice, would there? If I had to choose between 10 consecutive Green Bay Packers Super Bowl wins and your spiritual well-being, I mean, it's a ridiculous thing I'm saying, isn't it? I mean, it's not even close. If I had to choose between a Super Bowl victory and then you throw in a million bucks, and I had to choose between that and just small steps of increased love for God, just small steps of increased trust, just small steps of joyful obedience in you. I tell you, I would take that every time. I feel that strongly, and it only increases as I get older. Things become more precious. I turned 61 on Thursday. I feel every one of those things that I just mentioned even more strongly now than I did a year ago. So I can relate at least a little to how Paul must feel writing these final words of this letter to that church there in Rome. He feels so strongly about what he has said for 16 chapters now. He desires so much that those believers get 
what he's talking about. That they recognize the importance and, and the value of it and that they treasure it and live in it. And we hear that strength of feeling translate into what he says here. We hear it in his words of warning. We hear it in his words of encouragement. We even hear it in his words of personal greeting. And we certainly hear it in his words of worship at the very end. So I want us to look at these final words of this book this morning. And I want their weight to affect us as well. So you listen. You follow along as I read, starting at verse 17. This is God's word. I appeal to you, brothers sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So does Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsman. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greets you. Now, to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel in the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, let's look first at this word of warning there in verses 17 through 19. You see what Paul's doing there in verse 17, right? I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. You see what Paul's doing? He's, he's caring about both unity and truth in the church at the same time. Sometimes we can care about truth in a way that shows we don't care much about unity. And sometimes we can care about unity in a way that shows we don't care much about truth. Paul is showing us here that both of these things matter and that there is a way to care about both of them and protect both of them at the same time. I mean, we've got to be vigilant about the truth. There is a body of doctrine that we believe. The issue here in chapter 16 is not the same as what we saw in chapter 14. Remember back there in chapter 14, it was about matters of freedom, eating, drinking, observing certain days... Now, this here in chapter 16 has to do with the teaching. Let's not miss the obvious point here. There is a body of truth that people can turn away from. There's a body of truth, a doctrine, a set of beliefs that you can actually be contrary to. 
We rehearsed it just a few minutes ago. I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth. And I believe in Jesus Christ, his Son, our Lord, crucified, risen again, now seated at the right hand of God the Father. There are things we believe. And there will be those who will come and try to lead people away from the truth, and that will result in divisions in the church. And Paul is very clear, when you see such a person, or when you hear such a person, avoid them. Turn away from false teaching. They might come into your local body. They might be outside the local church. They might be insinuating themselves into your home through your television. Now, Paul didn't say that. But it's true in our case. Or your internet. I tell you, that's a huge problem in our day. Teaching that is contrary to the gospel, teaching some other gospel, it's all over the place. And Paul is very clear, they are to be avoided. The seriousness of the threat calls for a serious response. Turn away from them. For, look at what Paul says in verse 18, for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. So we need to exercise discernment. Yes, we need to be careful not to self-righteously judge others, but we must be careful to wisely discern. And when there is this, this smooth and flattering talk, that is accompanied by this self-indulgence. Did you notice that? They're serving their own appetites. The language actually in the original Greek is very graphic. They're serving their own bellies. You see, Paul's talking about people who are not just, they're not just somehow kind of off intellectually a bit. They've kind of been snared into some false thinking. No, no, there's underneath and behind this, there is idolatry. They're serving themselves. Paul is warning, watch out for those, and when you see them, turn away, avoid them. It's so interesting what Paul says in verse 19. He commends these believers. Look there, verse 19. Your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice in you. It's just like what we heard last week, chapter 15, verse 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to instruct one another. But, Paul says, I want you to be aware Back to verse 19, I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. You need to exercise discernment. You need to continue to be wise in regard to the good. Recognize it, love it, follow it. And at the same time, you've got to recognize what is off and have nothing to do with it. That's Paul's word of warning. And it's very clear he feels this strongly. And that should register for us. The same warning applies to us. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. But then, very quickly, comes a word of great encouragement. You could almost say a word of triumph. Here's the second thing that Paul speaks, and it too is with great feeling. Look at verse 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. 
the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I don't know if those opening words in verse 20 strike you, but they sure struck me this past week. Did you notice this? The God of peace will crush Satan. This is the first time Satan is explicitly named in this book. There's a reference to him. Remember back in chapter 8, Paul speaks about rulers and powers, principalities and powers that along with everything else in creation are unable to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. But this is the first time he's named. Actually, it's the only time. Sixteen chapters of dense theological teaching and moral instruction and one sentence about Satan. And in this sentence, what is said about Satan is that he's utterly doomed. God will crush him. You know what I see there at the beginning of verse 20? I see the entire book of Revelation summarized in half of a verse. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And notice Paul says, your feet. The reason it's your feet, our feet, is that we are in Christ and his triumph will be our triumph. There's a reference here that we need to make a connection to. It's all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Back in the garden, after Adam and Eve had sinned and God was speaking a word of judgment, uh, he spoke some words to that serpent, Satan, who was the one speaking as that serpent. Listen to what we read here, Genesis 3, verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. Which is the very first reference to the coming Messiah we have in our Bibles. It's talking about Jesus. And listen to what God says. He shall bruise your head. That word means bruise entirely. Crush. Even though you will bruise his heel, he will crush Satan your head. Think about the all the way on the other end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 20. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain and he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, The devil and Satan bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years are ended. After that, he must be released for a little while Then a few verses later in that chapter. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and he'll come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints the beloved city, but fire came down from heaven and consumed them, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Utterly crushed. So there is this amazing word of triumph there in verse 20 about what will happen, but that's not Paul's only note of encouragement. Look at the second half of verse 20. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. 
I want you to listen to these verses from the book of Hebrews. These should be precious to you. I'm going to preach on this passage early in 2020. I think maybe on anniversary Sunday, but for now, just listen. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. 4. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Grace to help us, very specific grace, real grace to help us in our time of need, and we need it constantly. There is in Christ a continuous supply of grace, and we've been given access. Do you remember this from Romans chapter 5? We've been given access to this place of grace in which we now stand. That's what Paul's talking about here in Romans 16, 20. Both our future hope, verse 20, first part, and our present help, verse 20, second part. It's a word of great encouragement. It's a word of triumph that Paul speaks right here, and he feels it strongly, as should we. Paul speaks a third word here. It's a word of greeting. And by comparison to what we've already seen, it seems... Pretty tame. Look at verses 21 through 23. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius, Jason, Sospiter, I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greets you in the Lord. Gaius, who's host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus, they greet you. Having sent his greetings to some 26 people there in Rome earlier in this chapter, Paul now passes on a greeting from some other people who were there with him in Corinth where he's writing this letter. Now, we don't know who most of these people are. Some of them are probably the same people named in other places in Paul's letter. So, for example, Gaius there in verse 23. If you just flip over one page to the first chapter of the next letter, 1 Corinthians, look at verse 14. Paul says, I thank God that I baptized none of you there in Corinth except Crispus and Gaius. It's probably the same guy there in Corinth. We're not sure about that or about the rest of these except, of course, that first one, Timothy. We know about him. Paul met Timothy on his second missionary journey in the city of Lystra. He led him to the Lord, and then he began to invest in him, mentor him. And for the last eight years, Timothy has been Paul's faithful traveling companion. We know Timothy and of Paul's love for him, his investment in him. Two letters to this young man are in your Bible. God's Word. And and there is what I find this very interesting moment in verse 22. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. We, We know that Paul regularly used scribes to dictate his letters, but this is the only time that we hear one speaking. In verse 21... It's Paul, Timothy, my fellow worker. In verse 23, it's Paul again, Gaius, who is host to me and the whole church. But in verse 22, Paul gives the opportunity to Tertius to write a brief greeting in his own name. I love stuff like this. When we read verses like this, when we, what we find in verses 21 through 23, we're often tempted to kind of just breeze over them. We think, well, isn't that nice? That's sweet, kind of quaint. But we need to see the reality behind this. It speaks 
of the reality of ordinary life, real events, real relationships, real people, you're going to meet these people someday. And clearly Paul feels deeply about them. They are dear to him. You see, following Christ gets lived out in the context of real connections with other believers, and these relationships should be precious to us. I I hope you have relationship with other believers here in this body. I mean, names come to my mind. I hope names come to your mind. And you should have relationship with people who have gone out from this body. Names come to my mind. I hope names come to your mind. And I hope you have deep and strong feelings about those relationships. This rich opportunity that God gives us to be a part of something together. All right, there's one more very important thing we notice in these final words of Paul, and it's a word of worship. We've seen a word of warning. Paul feels strongly about it. We've seen a word of encouragement. Paul feels strongly about it. Even these words of greeting, Paul feels very strongly. And here now is a word of worship. Listen to this, verse 25. By the way, verses 25 through 27 are one long, incomplete sentence in Greek, but it's wonderful. Verse 25. Now, to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel... The preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Paul starts out his sentence now to him. And then he kind of goes down this path. It's a remarkable path. We'll look at it in just a moment. But he eventually comes back and picks up what he started in verse 25. Look at verse 27. Now to him, to the only wise God, be glory. You see what these verses are, right? They're worship. This is Paul praising God. This is Paul giving God glory. And he feels it so strongly. You hear it in those words there in verse 27. But please notice this path that Paul takes us on first. It contains profound truth. We've heard in this great book, truths about God, truths about the gospel, the power of God, the good news about Jesus, God's purpose that all the nations of the world should hear and that all of that would be to the praise of his glory. It's almost as if Paul can't bring himself to end this letter. Instead, he builds phrase upon phrase, and it's wonderful And the key to following this path is that little repeated phrase, according to. Did you notice that? Here's what's happening. Paul is saying it is God's intention to strengthen you, believer. Verse 25. And he does that according to, in keeping with his gospel, this good news that's been preached about Jesus. And that is according to what has been made known, the revelation of this mystery that God planned his salvation to come through Jesus. It was announced in the prophetic writings, verse 26, and that was according to the command of the eternal God, middle of verse 26. 
So it's all, the whole thing is all rooted in the eternal purpose of the eternal God. We could do it backwards. God commanded in eternity past, and that command, that purpose was contained in the scriptures, which was somewhat mysterious for a long time, but has now become clear in the preaching of the good news about Jesus, which brings about strengthening of faith and obedience in particular people like those Christians there in Rome and like you and me if we've come to faith in Christ. Listen, Christian, you are being strengthened through the gospel in your faith, in your obedience. God is strengthening you. He is helping you. It's not perfection yet. We know that. But it's a new direction. And it's real strength. From start to finish, from God's eternal command to you standing before God someday and stand you will because God is able to make you stand. Remember that from chapter 14? Stand he will. If you are in Christ, you will stand before God someday. From start to finish and from global, all nations, verse 26, to very specific individual to him who is able to strengthen you. It's all of God. Remember what Paul said at the end of chapter 11? Look there just for a moment. Chapter 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. So to him be glory forever. From start to finish, from global to very specific, it's all of God, so it's appropriate for him to receive glory forever. Do you hear that in that last verse of the book of Romans? To the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Our lives forever to his glory, in which we will share Listen, brothers, sisters, we are not eternal. Only God is eternal. From everlasting to everlasting, he is God. But he has drawn us in Christ up into his eternity going forward. He's given us everlasting life in Christ and our forever life will be marked by this joyful, grateful, jubilant experience of living both in the glory of God and to the glory of God. And so Romans ends. The literal last word is, do you see it there? Amen. Which simply means, yes, we agree. That's true. That's it. You know, there are so many things in God's word I don't understand. So much of the ways of God I do not understand. But this I believe. I once was lost and was under God's just judgment. To that I must say, Amen. It's true. But now... 
a righteousness from God has been revealed, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And to that I say, Amen. And now that I'm in Christ, there is no longer any judgment, no condemnation on me. To that I say, Amen. And now I am dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. To that I say, Amen. And now nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. To that I say, Amen. And I'm eager now to live my life as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, and to do that in love and in harmony with my brothers and sisters. And to that I say, Amen. And I'm eager that everything in my life now and forever be for the glory of God, through Jesus Christ. To that I say, Amen. To the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, once again, we say thank you for uh, this little book, this letter. And there's part of us that's reluctant to let it go. Um, in fact, we don't want to let it go. We, we want you to preserve it, to keep it, to put it on the shelf of our heart, so to speak, so that it has regular impact in our minds so that we regularly are rehearsing and treasuring the truths, new things that perhaps we've seen in these past months. God, I pray you'd help us to treasure the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And by so doing, I pray you'd help us to treasure Jesus. But God, we recognize this is just part of this big book. And we're going to go to other places now. And as you've ministered to us, you will minister to us. And so we're full of anticipation that you will continue to faithfully speak to us and strengthen us. And so, God, we pray this morning for the strengthening of this church. We pray that you would, through your word and by your spirit and through the exercise of gifts and the building of fellowship and unity in this church, that you would make us a place that is useful for your purposes in this region, during this time, for your glory. We pray that others might be affected and drawn in. God, help us to live like Christians. We are not ashamed. We are not ashamed of the gospel because it is your power for salvation and in it a righteousness from you is delivered. And so, God, help us to be gospel-centered disciples, faithful, joyful, eager to live for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.